We can make a huge impact, of course. We are a global real estate investor with a significant real estate portfolio worldwide. And of course, we have a significant responsibility by having many people following us and looking up to our current and future actions and initiatives. You're listening to Shaping Sustainable Places, a Skenska podcast. In 2020, Larry Fink, CEO at global investment firm BlackRock, said that climate risk equals financial risk. He later doubled down on the statement, writing that every company will somehow be transformed by the global transition to a carbon net zero world. Now the real estate and construction industries are seeing that push to net zero being driven by the new demands of clients, tenants, and investors for a more sustainable built environment. And corporations are catching on, with an 85% increase in setting science-based sustainability targets in 2021. But moving toward a sustainable built environment is complicated. There are complex regulatory and reporting requirements to navigate. And even the most well-intentioned investor is still going to be looking for the best value and return for their money. Today, our host Heather Clancy talks with Torsten Schlitto, Managing Director and Head of Nordic Real Estate at BlackRock, and Magnus Persson, Executive Vice President and Group Chief Financial Officer at Skenska, about ways investment is being shaped by sustainability, what kinds of real estate assets investors are looking for, and how the sustainability movement is changing the construction and development industries. We begin with Torsten. He mentions ESG which is an acronym for Environmental, Social, and Governance, a framework for socially conscious investors to assess investments based on a company's policies and behavior. My name is Torsten Slito. I am the head of Nordic Real Estate at BlackRock. I have been in the business for almost 20 years now. I joined BlackRock some one and a half years ago. Can you tell me a little bit more about your role there at BlackRock in the Nordics? So what is it that you're spearheading for the organization? Currently, I am heading the Nordic real estate business. We are today eight people in between two different offices. I am based in the Stockholm office where I'm currently at. And I also spend quite a lot of my time down in Copenhagen, where actually the majority of my team, they are based down there. And from these two offices, we cover all of the Nordic regions, exactly four countries now. I would say it's Norway, Denmark, Sweden, and Finland. Iceland is, of course, part of the Nordics, but we don't invest in Iceland so far. We have three capital sources, which are investing throughout Europe. And all these three capital sources are also investing in the Nordics. We have two core buckets and one sort of pan-European value-add fund series, which is also active in the Nordics. And the mission statement for that group? I think that's a bit different on the targets from the different funds. But what we do want to do is, of course, we want to create value for our end clients. We don't have any own capital invested in that sense. It's all sort of our clients' money that we do invest. And we want to do that, of course, carefully and bearing in mind what we're going to talk more about today, sustainability, that's a major part of those investment decisions. And I would say our company, compared to other previous companies I've been at, also sort of have a very interesting company ethos, which I really like, which is called One BlackRock. And this means that instead of being an individual achiever, this brings us all together as one team. And we're always trying to stay united, embracing knowledge sharing, teamwork, and team effort instead of individual performance. 
as far as the built environment, we both know it's a major contributor to carbon emissions, and it's also at risk. So your portfolios, everyone's portfolios are at risk from the effects of climate change. What do you see as the biggest challenges in terms of the climate impact on real estate and how can properties be better prepared for future effects? This is all about a good investment practice. Climate risk is definitely an investment risk. And physical climate change continues to create sort of financial risk and will, of course, affect asset prices. For many years, we've seen this misconception that in order to integrate ESG effectively into our investment processes and asset management activities, you had to accept the sacrifice of returns. And I think that conversation has really evolved beyond this now, and especially in the last sort of three to five years, and certainly across asset classes such as mine, real estate, given sort of the long-term physical nature of our asset class. Secondly, I would say that ESG integration is really about robust risk management. And in order to be a good investor, we really need to be able to identify, understand, and underwrite sort of potential risks associated with any new investments. And the risks from environment, social, and government factors, they really need to be considered in the same way as we would view credit risk, liquidity risk, for example, in order to fully understand longer-term performance of our opportunities that are reviewed and um, at every sort of potential investment we make. BlackRock engages with and encourages the companies it invests in to disclose their material risks and opportunities related to climate change and the energy transition. As such a significant player, it can have an impact through its active ownership. We can make a huge impact, of course. We are a global real estate investor with a significant real estate portfolio worldwide. And of course, we have a significant responsibility by having many people following us and looking up to our current and future actions and initiatives. One of the best ways and the best sort of roles in reducing carbon emissions is by spearheading and being in the forefront of this path to net zero and ourselves reducing our carbon emissions in our portfolios. We strongly believe that all our initiatives can accelerate this journey as we continue to try and inspire other investors to join our mission to achieve this goal and get there sooner rather than later. And you mentioned the changing perception that used to be that people thought that this would be a trade-off, but this is not. And you are naturally in the business of maximizing returns for your clients and shareholders. So can you talk in more depth about how making these kinds of investments in a sustainable way is good for business? Yes, of course. Our fiduciary duty is to our clients, as I mentioned before, whose money we invest, and it's up to us to put their interests first. We, of course, recognize that effective ESG integration in real estate can actually be a source of alpha. So what is alpha? In real estate investing, alpha is defined as an excess return on a portfolio of assets when compared to its benchmark. In other words, it means beating the general market or adding or creating excess value on top of the based value of an investment. As this whole agenda continues to advance, as we see shifting sort of buyer preference and shifting tenant preference, which is also is key, there are going to be winners and losers. 
And the winners will be, of course, those with properties that are more sustainable than others, have higher energy efficiency, lower energy intensity, and lower carbon footprint. And I think as a consequence, and therefore also lowering operating costs, the winners would definitely be those investors that have properties that are resilient against these impacts of sort of physical climate change, such as flood risk, sea level rise, and more frequently extreme changes in perception and temperature. So looking on the backside of this, I think the losers will be those that don't make these changes. They will see drop in property values and having portfolios that are obsolete and not liquid, I would say. I'm loving what you were just saying about some of the specific ways in which a building could be more sustainable. So I'm wondering, is that specifically what your team looks for when it makes an investment decision about the built environment? Do you have this checklist of things that a building must or should do or something that you want to see out of a project that would provide that alpha you were just talking about? Yeah, I wouldn't say that we have a checklist, but we know in broader terms, what we need to do and what we need to look for, which are creating that particular edge. And I think what is making sort of property investment sustainable is building climate resilience into our portfolios, which essentially to ensure that we can protect, enhance the value of our real estate and in the end, of course, to our end investors. And I think real estate is also in the forefront of many of the direct impacts of changing climate from physical risks, as I mentioned before, sea level rise, flood risk, extreme weather events, etc. But also to transition risks, such as ever-changing emerging policy, legislation, technology advancements that aim to mitigate sort of the impacts of, of climate change. And therefore, we always strive to be in the forefront listening to new policy coming out, legislation, and also trying to be early on with new technology to invest in our assets and make them more sustainable. And I think investor interest in this area is only going to increase our sort of clients. They need to be comfortable that we are identifying, analyzing, and underwriting such risks into our underlying investment processes. And whilst also continually reviewing sort of such factors to understand where climate risk exposures may exist and how they can be managed and mitigated over time. And I think that's where we're finding our alpha by having that expertise and also having more long-term view, maybe compared to short-term investors. Our next guest, Magnus, has experienced some major disruptive changes in the past five years that he has been in his role as CFO at Skenska. Heather asks him about how those disruptions have affected investment, both within Skenska and in the ways customers invest in Skenska projects. My name is Magnus Persson, and since early 2018, the group CFO, Chief Financial Officer for the company. With that, I have responsibility for the sort of the traditional CFO stuff, if you will, with the accounting and making sure we have enough money on the bank to make the investments and pay the salaries as we go. And also any type of operational follow-up, obviously. I'm also responsible for investor relations, internal audit, and a few other things. So a fairly broad portfolio, actually, which I find very interesting. I've been in the company for quite some time and had a few different roles, but I have a pretty good feeling about how we are put together, so to speak. Great. So you've been in your role as 
that those years have, in the last four or five years, there's been a lot of changes in the landscape. So I'm curious, from your perspective, how do you feel the investment part of this is changing? Let's start with one. Let's start with the investors in your company. What are they asking for that's different? How are their views different? And what are the different pressures that you're feeling and opportunities? The last five years, we have to think what the world has gone through. So there's been a lot, there's been a bit of a roller coaster, generally speaking, in terms of the investment markets. First, 2018 and 19, the logic and how the capital markets were thinking were very much in line with the same thing as had happened over the last, say, 10 years or so post the global financial crisis. Low interest rates, huge risk appetite, everything that mattered was growth. Money was essentially free. Maybe I'm exaggerating a bit, but it didn't cost a lot. And then suddenly, basically out of nowhere, we hit the pandemic. Things started to change, obviously. There was a lot more focus on supply chains. You know, you sort of focus on different parts, different risks in the company suddenly. Very interesting to see the response from investors in that situation, because you would never have imagined that would come from a virus. We just recently then passed through the global financial crisis, and then we had the issues around the public financial situation in 2010, 11, 12, 13 with Spain and Italy and Greece and all of that. And everyone's eyes were directed to similar topics. We're not really looking to toss things around on the financial markets, but that's exactly what happened. And then we come out of that. You know, the world is recovering to some extent and, you know, you start to have a event horizon that is reasonable to make long-term investments again. Some confidence comes back. The world didn't end this time either. A lot of the things looked pretty fine. All expectations were for market growth, etc. And then we have this war in Ukraine, not too long after that, which again tosses us in a bit of an unexpected direction. And obviously, you just have to watch the capital market and you can see the impact this has had. With that comes now higher interest rates, different types of risk appetite generally on the market. So I think from an investor perspective, the last five years have been quite dramatic in many ways. A lot of things has happened in a short period of time. So as a CFO of your company, what changes have you had to make in order to meet the expectations, those changing expectations? Is there anything in particular that you've been focusing on in terms of value creation that's made your job different, but also has met those needs? I think it's a good question. And I want to take us back to what we are as a company. First of all, we are obviously in construction and real estate. So there's heavy investments going on. Either we make large investments in properties, which is something very long term. On the construction side, the work that we carry out normally represents very large investments for our clients. With that as the client base and what we do, you have to have really a very long-term view on things. And so do we. Otherwise, it's very difficult to become successful in it. To back this up, we obviously have a very strong balance sheet and so on. So from an investor point of view, how we act towards investors, I wouldn't say we have changed a lot, honestly speaking. Obviously, you are more in tune with certain type of risks when you feel that the risks external are higher, like supply chain risks during the pandemic. We were very careful with 
starting new investments and we assigned a much higher sort of relevance to certain types of risks when we underwrote different business cases and so on. But all of this is internally. When we meet investors externally, the company is still the same. We still have the same long-term ambitions and we also have sort of the staying power to continue to produce, to continue to be relevant, even if we have one or two or even more years that are more difficult from a market perspective. So I wouldn't say that we have changed a lot as a company in how we approach investors, but of course, we have had to explain ourselves in different ways. We didn't have to do before. As Magnus points out, this is all about the long term, and the topics that are of most interest to investors will evolve. Dorsten has also observed how the conversation changes and shares with us some insight on new issues that are emerging. Yes, definitely. It has changed over time. And I think there has been different hot topics that investors do discuss. And a few of those sort of hotter topics that I could mention, probably regulation, in particular sort of regulation focused on preventing greenwashing, which is a term we hear more and more of. Of course, to ensure that firms actually deliver their environmental commitments, not only on paper, but also following through on these commitments in practice. Another topic is green financing assessment. Sustainability risks should be identified at various steps of our investment process where relevant, from research, allocation, selection, portfolio construction decisions, or management and engagement are considered. The assessments of those risks is done relative to their materiality, likeness of impacting returns on the investment and in tandem with other risk assessments, for example, liquidity, valuation, etc. Now, one final topic I would mention that people are talking about is focusing on broadening the total amount of information investment managers are considering with the aim of improving the entire investment analysis and understanding the likely impact of sustainability risks on these investments. All investment managers should assess a variety of economic and financial indicators, which may include regular ESG data, insights to make these investment decisions appropriate for any type of investment objectives. Skenska has had a long-time commitment to sustainable building practices, and the company emphasizes having sustainable buildings as part of their portfolio. Magnus discusses how the company doesn't want to end up holding stranded assets, which are defined as buildings that have become obsolete due to changes in population, technology, and regulation. He gives us some examples of the types of stranded assets they want to avoid. So when you think about the opportunity side of this, your organization is very focused on greening of its portfolio of sustainability. How is that increased focus on sustainability changing the way that investors view your company, but also in the way that you look at investments yourself? We only have one globe. We live with it for a long time, hopefully, but we also need to take care of it. Having said that, as you point out very rightly, the risk isn't any different today than what it was 20 years ago, but suddenly we see it a little bit more due to a lot of more media attention, a lot of more attention both from politicians and other type of regulatory that is focused on this. For investors, it's really a matter of making sure you don't end up with stranded assets. Because I usually try to simplify things like this, right or wrong, that the dominating 
governing logic, if you will, in the market economy, that is to make more money and to generate stable long-term profits and cash flow. So if you are an investor, you are primarily driven by that, right? There is a need to address the issue of climate or issue of sustainability in money, to try to incorporate these two frameworks into each other in as strong way as possible. And if we can do that, I think that we, the world will actually move even faster in, in that direction. Right now, what we witness is a lot of these like supranational or metanational reporting frameworks and legislation and so on, that in many ways are, are being designed to counteract the sort of more natural market economy drivers that companies otherwise would have. I'm not sure that is the most efficient way of making the world move in the right direction, because it's a tough fight. We've had the market economy for a long time in the world, and it's proven to be quite dramatically successful at finding solutions. So in my view, we should be more focused actually on pricing the use of, say, the wrong resources, pricing carbon emissions in order to integrate that as another dimension when you underwrite the business case or when you buy something, etc. And we have many of these dimensions, of course, the world when the economic man or the rational man makes an economic decision, but we have not yet found a good way to make emissions. And again, as an example, as one of those dimensions. Instead, we're trying, the world is trying to reach this by using legislative forces, which probably is a bit of an uphill battle down the road. You mentioned the stranded assets concept, mm-hmm. and I hadn't really thought of it about that. What is a stranded asset in your sense, in your industry? And how are you addressing properties that could be considered stranded assets in the future? Is that something that you look at, evaluate, and then are making investments in order to make sure they don't become stranded? My definition is essentially that, that the world is changing constantly. And at one point in time, you have certain qualities of an asset that gives this asset value, and by that financial value, right? But then if you fast forward 10 years, maybe the world assigns a different price to the same thing. So uh, relatively speaking, this asset would be worth a lot less 10 years out into the future. So if you place your bets on the wrong horse now, maybe just by the fact that the world has changed and pricing of various risks or whatever it may be, can lead this asset to be at a subpar value in 10, 15, or 20 years, so to speak. Then you have an asset that might not be stranded, but you have a low quality value in that asset, if you will. You really want to have high quality value assets. And a perfect example of this today is energy efficiency, because all things point towards energy becoming more scarce, at least for the foreseeable future. So if you today buy a property that is not energy efficient, Of course, that will be painful for the value development of this portfolio over time versus buying, investing maybe even a little more in some cases, Mm -hmm. and you get a better energy efficiency. But that trade-off today could be very valuable if the energy price goes up more than expected in the future. These are sort of the considerations that it's important to make when you make investments today. And you can have other examples too. Now, this was a property, but you can also look at, we buy a lot of land because we are active in the property development business. 
And when you buy land, you put it essentially in a land bank. And this is a terminology we use for all land plots we have for future properties to be developed. But let's say you buy something today that is within close vicinity of a river, a river that has never been flooded. And you pay a lot for this because it's a nice location in a city center. But you fail to take into account the possibility that if the weather changes down the line, maybe you will have very expensive assets that is more or less underwater all the time. Or even if it's not underwater, local city regulations may very well stipulate that you have to build sort of flooding walls or flooding protection to a very high cost into the future because you didn't really think about it now it looked so good where you were standing but if you think 10 or 20 years out ahead it essentially becomes a stranded asset Thorsten also emphasizes the social responsibility in real estate investment whether it be investing in existing assets or construction of new assets it's more important than ever due to the current health of the planet he echoes Magnus's sentiment that no investor wants to be left holding a stranded asset we as real estate investors have, of course, a social responsibility when building or redeveloping our assets. And we need to provide high quality and safe environments that respect the community we are in. As all our assets are physical in nature compared to some sort of other commodities and investment sort of classes, we directly interact with occupier users as well as the communities in which our assets are located. And of course, it's our responsibility to ensure that these interactions have positive impacts and benefit in general. And looking at the more individual asset level, I think sustainability is becoming increasingly more important to attracting tenants, which of course is our end client being landlords. And for the tenants themselves, they need to attract talent and have the right sort of employees. Health and well-being will understandably be even more important sort of in this post-COVID world. And this is something that we already spent quite a lot of time thinking about, but then the pandemic hit and this has really accelerated and amplified this. And I think the main risk for the investors that are not willing to take part in this transformation is that they will be sitting with an efficient property portfolio, higher operating costs, or those at greater risk from physical climate change, they will have it quite tough. And this is, I think, where we will see people that don't do these changes, they will have a risk of having stranded assets, less liquidity, low profitability, lower asset values, and that will affect their clients. Finishing off on that, I think tomorrow's successful investors need to react today to the ongoing climate change and the transition needed to be the winner of the future. None of the critical changes that are driving the sustainability movement in construction and real estate can be discussed without taking the regulatory and reporting framework into consideration. Navigating the regulations and reporting requirements can be difficult for a global organization because the regulations can vary by region, country, or municipality. So let's talk about some of the regulatory frameworks in place now. How is carbon pricing? It's obviously holds in some jurisdictions, but not all. It's There's voluntary markets. There's It's a very uneven framework. So to what extent, what would you like to see for carbon pricing? What would be helpful for you as a CFO to have a more market-based approach or to have something that was just at least predictable? <laughs> I'm just curious about your view on carbon pricing. 
I'm not thinking around this really from the basis of being a CFO. I tend to fall into either the trap or the opportunity of thinking around the matter more generally. But I think we would be very, we would benefit a lot from having a global CO2 price. I think the key is that all countries can underwrite that sort of pricing framework. The cost associated with emissions doesn't have to be so high because we have lots of time down the road to the price until we can find the right balance of these different driving forces. But it's key that everyone accepts this. That's very important. On the basis of my role in the company, I'm not sure it would change much. It would obviously and hopefully at least take away a lot of the reporting requirements that we should always, I think the world or legislators should always think is to what extent does increased reporting have a desired effect? Because there is a level of reporting that you can reach where it just becomes too much, even for those that are intended to be the recipients of this information. At some point in time, they need to receive it, make sense of it, and act based on it. And that is the beauty, I think, of the pricing mechanism, because you put all of this information into price. And that's the way you can then steer decisions. You mentioned a lot of market-based mechanisms that we've seen come into play in the last few years, green bonds, sustainability-linked bonds, and so forth. There's sustainability bonds in general as well. To what extent does your company and your team use those as investment vehicles for Skanska? Yeah, we use them, obviously. I mean, they're a product and it works in many ways, same as non-green funding. And I guess that will down the road not exist any longer. And then what we call green now will be standard. It's just a transition, I think, in how companies fund themselves. I might become across as a bit of a skeptic here, but I don't think green funding or green financing really will move the world because it's going to become standard very quickly. It's not a dynamic driver once you have it, so to speak. That's the funding resource. It's all green. Let's talk about your commercial portfolio. What you do note by discussions with various property investors is that they are concerned, it's important to them, that when they put so much money into buying a property, they don't want to risk having an asset that in 10 years is considered to be not attractive because that asset needs to hold its value in their portfolio. And because the world is moving so quickly within the area of sustainability, It has become more important for them to make sure that when they buy, they want to buy something that is sustainable as possible at this point in time. Because buying something that is not really putting their portfolio and the value that comes out of their portfolio in the future at risk, which is a very sort of sound decision, according to me, makes perfect sense to wanting to do that. And we see that in property investors that they do care a lot about you having energy efficient buildings with the right qualifications and et cetera, et cetera. So it is quite important and driven also by their desire to have a sort of long-term steady value development in their portfolio because they either invest money for others to just gain the return or they try to satisfy to meet their liabilities. So they can't afford to do anything else. We all know that the built environment is being affected by climate change. So what does the future look like and how can investors feel confident that they're putting their money today in assets that will still be valuable tomorrow? What kind of questions should they be asking and what solutions should they look for? 
They need to have increased focus. That has definitely led to more and more investors starting to shift their focus on sustainability and investigating sort of the measures to improve their existing portfolios and also what they're investing in going forward. Both now and going forward, there is a great opportunity to turn brown into green real estate. For example, various energy efficiency and energy reduction initiatives can, of course, be implemented to improve and reduce energy consumption and greenhouse gas emissions. Some other good examples for investors to create better assets for tomorrow would be energy auditing reduction undertaken with wider refurbishment programs and retro commissioning plans reviewing or instructing energy audits as part of the wider due diligence process of new acquisitions. Another example could be on-site renewable power, which we have in some of our assets, installing sort of small-scale renewables or other sort of on-site infrastructure, practically and commercially feasible. And across our portfolio, we have both offices and logistics warehouses where we have rooftop solar installations, providing renewable energy directly to the tenants, but also with excess renewable power that we can sell back to the sort of relevant national grid. And also following the development on electric vehicles, having charging points close to shopping center, retail warehouses, logistics properties, etc. And finally, I would mention renewable energy procurement. And we always continue to sort of explore those opportunities to increase the renewable energy mix with the energy we procure as landlords, which we then supply to our tenants. And I think we, we recognize that effective ESG integration in real estate can actually be a source of alpha, as we spoke about earlier, as this whole agenda continues to advance. And we're seeing shifting sort of buyer preference. And not only that investors want to invest in sustainable assets, the tenants especially also want to be tenants in sustainable buildings. So everybody's having the same goal, which is really nice to see. So I love that brown to green concept. Is that something then that your team actively engages with in terms of the property owners that you already have, like helping them make their portfolio become more green? Yes, not only. I mean, of course, for the existing portfolio, that's something that we're reviewing and constantly sort of looking for to make those improvements. But I will say that this may be one key element looking further ahead down the road, that we are new investments really looking for these sort of kind of transition assets where we can take round to green and so that's where we can find value. And that is something that is definitely, I would say, on the top of our list, reviewing new investment possibilities. And is that something also that you see investors, your clients taking an active role in and helping encourage that shift? The World Green Building Council is really calling on the real estate and investment sectors to take an active role and leading in helping transition. We know we have buildings are here a long time and we know we have a lot of retrofitting to do. So how do you see investors driving that that role? Yeah, most definitely. As you said, it's hugely important since the properties across the globe stands for in total some more than 40% of all carbon emissions. And 
Hence, it's a property community's role to be the most important part of succeeding with this long-term solution and also taking down these emissions and adapting to an ever-changing environment. And I think that is definitely something that has been picked up and pushed by the end clients for all investors that they want to see that change and they don't want to have investments on efficient and non-sustainable buildings. And that's back to what I mentioned earlier. I think those kind of assets... Inactive managers will really suffer in the future by not being willing to adapt or being part of this transformation. What is BlackRock's value add there? How can you really help those investors, those kind of active participants? It's not about ticking boxes, as we mentioned before, but more identifying where we can find high quality locations and brown inefficient buildings today, which we then can transform, make that change for the environment, being an enabler to a sustainable future by finding these kind of opportunities, doing the right investments, increasing the sustainability of our entire portfolio, both for existing and new, and also having the global power to do it, but also the will to actually make those investments. Because of course, in the short term, it will cost you money to make those investments. But in the long term, we definitely believe that we will get that back for our end clients. You mentioned a number of ways that companies could add value to their buildings. As an example, electric vehicle charging, or just concentrating more on the health and well-being of the indoor air quality and that sort of thing. What opportunities do you see for companies that really make those sorts of dynamics part of their strategy? I think by doing so and doing those kind of property investments and being more sustainable, building in that sort of climate resilience into your portfolio makes it not only sustainable, but it also ensures and protects and enhances the value of the real estate that you actually have. And in the end, of course, the return for the end clients. And I really believe that our particular sector, which is, of course, having a huge role in all this, should be, and we want to be there, and we are already in the forefront of making these sort of direct impacts on changing climate, anything from the fiscal risks, but also being advanced in technology advancement and trying to mitigate everything that comes up because it's an ever-changing environment, right? So you can't stop your innovation. You need to keep pushing on that to be in the forefront. What risks do you see for companies that don't do these things? The companies that don't want to adapt or are maybe too slow to adapt, I think they will, for once, have decreasing property values. They will have obsolete, non-sustainable portfolios where tenants don't want to be in, which will make their income decreases or disappears. In the end, nobody wants to own those assets. That is the risk for those non-active investors. In conclusion, Magnus and Torsten give their outlook on the future of investment in real estate and construction, as well as the well-being of the planet in general as we move forward. What is the most exciting or positive change you have seen in this whole investment movement? The movement to make it very clear that climate risk equals financial risk. What is the sort of most positive takeaway that that we can see from this shift in your mind? From my perspective, I think the most positive thing is that we are talking about it. 
because we have a tragedy of the commons, so to speak. Let's not put our globe at risk. So that's the, the big positive thing around it, that the world starts to care, because that's what we all want, right? And then there's a lot of fuss going on in, around this, and that is, according to me, to the benefit of the world. But the most important thing is that we start, and then we have to tolerate that everything doesn't become perfect, as long as we have the right vision for the world and all industries where that has to go. So that makes me very positive, actually, for the future of the world. And we as a company tend to be a part of that. Then, as I think I made clear in the beginning of this, I hope to be very positively surprised when we finally have a global agreement on a CO2 price that will untie a lot of knots, I believe. Is there some other piece of advice you'd like to offer to a company that's really struggling with how to transform and make that transition for the climate future that we're going to see? Stay open-minded, stay curious, adapt continuously, stay innovative, listen to technology development, and try to adapt as much as possible of those new possible ways to stay more sustainable. And if you do that, then you definitely will have sort of a future-proofed portfolio assets. So that would be my main advice. Smart investors are becoming more socially conscious in deciding which companies and assets they want to invest in. Driving toward a portfolio of net zero assets isn't just good for the planet, it's good business. We all want a sustainable future and moving toward a carbon net zero built environment is a critical part of that future. We hope you enjoyed this episode and would like to thank Torsten and Magnus for sharing their time and insight with us. To learn more about the future of investment in real estate and construction, and for links to any resources mentioned, head to the show notes. If you enjoyed listening, be sure to subscribe and give us a five-star review. This episode concludes the first season of our show. If you enjoyed listening to this episode or the entire season, send your thoughts to podcast at skenska.com. We'd love to hear from you. Whether you've listened every episode or if this is your first, thank you for joining us as we explore shaping sustainable places.